Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the show. The Denver Broncos have a must win, and I, I, I'm going to say that. And look over to Sandy, who's been rolling his eyes every time I say that, because I'm not sure if Sandy thinks the win's going to make a difference or not. But at well, the same no, no. time, I, I mean, there's no question uh, that they have to win this game if they're going to be at all viable coming down the oh, stretch. Oh, yeah, you have no choice. A loss would put them behind I mean, the we Chargers, agree, right? Not only do you have to win four the last five, the four have to be both against the Chargers, the Patriots, yeah. and the Raiders. Well, that's where you are now. They have to be because you lost to Houston. It, you've hit your limit of conference losses, which would be five, right? Right. You need to you, get you ten wins. 12 games. You have to get you ten wins to games. even hope that you might be able to skate past some of the teams that hold the tiebreaker on you. Yeah, that's right. So you've got to win ten. Yeah, yeah, you do. Nine and eight won't get it, at least not in the AFC this year. So you Maybe have to win for those last five, but you can't afford another conference loss. No. Nope. So this is what you're stuck at. That's, you either that's have to run are. the table or win... Everybody and, but against everyone but Detroit. You know, that, that's I don't know if that's bad news. I well, it's better it's than bad news hey, or good news. When they were one and five, well, I'll tell you what is we're good still news. talking about it's great news. Tell you what is good news. Even in recent years, when the Chargers have had a better football team than the Broncos, Broncos have given them trouble. Uh, they haven't been cowed by playing in Los Angeles at all, and they've handled the Chargers here in Denver reasonably well. So the idea that they would have to win both games head-to-head against the Chargers and obviously beat the Raiders in Las Vegas in the final weekend of the season. Not out of the question. As long as they don't beat themselves. And, you know, the the Chargers played in dreary weather conditions against an awful team last week in, in New England. So they won the game but didn't look great. Um, Herbert has consistently throughout the season been among the top 10 quarterbacks according to most metrics that are applicable to quarterback play. And once again, uh, this week, when it comes to EPA per drop back, that's expected points added. He remains up there uh, just behind Purdy, Prescott, Tua, Josh Allen, C.J. Stroud, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and ahead of the likes of Hertz, Stafford, bad. Love, who's really come on, Goff, whom the Broncos will see in the not-too-distant future, uh, Mayfield, Geno Smith, Lamar Jackson. I mean, uh, Herbert is at 0.11, which ranks seventh overall in the NFL. Uh, last week, he was a minus 0.12 under severe weather conditions. Uh, which is only 19th, his passer rating for the year, uh, top 10 at 95.1. And the most impressive, of course, uh, is uh, the QBR figure for uh, Herbert, which uh, is excellent. And where Russell Wilson fits in, uh, bad game last week, uh, set him back a little bit. He's 22nd for the year at minus 0.04 in EPA per dropback. Uh, again, hurt by his performance last week, but still sixth in passer rating at 99.0. Uh, only 24th uh, last week with a 
And speaking of people who can't afford bad games or bad losses, Russell Wilson can't afford another game like the one he played in Houston. No. Uh, Sean Payne said earlier this week, communication has to improve, especially on the road, and then said specifically too many snaps where guys aren't ready or we didn't get the shift or we didn't get the call. That's troubling, especially this time of year. Now, the problem with that is that how much of that's coming from Sean Payne? Because it's very easy to make it sound like, yep, Russell Wilson isn't getting the guys. But, but I mean, you're the head coach, right? Uh, you're respond- you, you do practice and if I'm this not stuff, mistaken, do you not? This isn't Deion Sanders. Uh, Sean Payton's calling the plays? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sean Payton's in Russell Wilson's ear? That's right. So isn't that part of the equation? And there is a... I take that as a rhetorical question. Yeah. There's an opaqueness in Payton's discussion on how... And where the breakdown occurs. You, you just sort of say that statement, communication has to improve, too many snaps. And you leave people ready. to interpret and the inf- the, as to, they wish. Right. But the first thing people are going to infer is it must be the quarterback. And we know, Sandy, that's not always the case. And, and at, at a couple moments this year, a couple, fewer than he's done this thing before where he sort of infers that it's Wilson's fault without saying it. The few times in which I think Peyton has actually addressed it, he has said, no, I've, I've needed to get better. I needed to simplify. I needed, but but it's more than just simplifying because that, again, indicates, well, Russell Wilson isn't obviously clever enough to handle my complicated play calls of why banana split, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It, it's, no, that's John Gruden. Right. I know, but it's, it's so hilarious. I have to bring it up every time. But the idea is not necessarily that it needs to be simplified, although that could be part of it, is that I think it needs to be sped up because what we've seen, and I get it, it I'm, not, seems I'm like not in the helmet. It seems like a ponderous process. Right, I'm not in the through. helmet. but And I didn't have as much of a problem with the time frame late in the game as the announcers did in yeah, the, in the football I, game. I, I did too. I but, mean, you can't have 35 seconds go by. between. But, but that can't happen that late. And again, that seems to be an issue with the Broncos of whether it's, uh, it could be a lot of things. It could be that the the verbiage is too complicated to spit out all at once for Peyton to get to Wilson and Wilson to get to his guys. It may be that you have a, a bunch of guys that are new to this team. And remember, one of the things that Sean Peyton has done, and I get that they have an opportunity to practice, but one of the things that he's done, and I don't think he's wrong for doing it, is essentially using the practice squad, rotating it as basically expanding your roster past 53. And I think a lot of teams are going to do that. But when you have guys that are active for this game and not the next game, or active, for the, you can tell that there's going to be issues in getting everyone on the same page well, because they don't practice on the same page. Right. And uh, I, I How guess... How often is Lucas Kroll in? And I'm not blaming no, Lucas no, Kroll I, at all on the final play. No, I, but, I agree. But and, it's it's... It's a symptom of a larger problem. Doesn't it seem to you a little bit odd that Nate Atkins, number 45, mm-hmm. tight end, mm-hmm. one week he's active, next week he's not. One week he's active, next week he's not. He wasn't active Sunday. Crow was active Sunday. Crow taken 20 offensive snaps all year before Sunday. That's and he's there on the final the year, on the final drive, and on the most important play of the year. Two he's minutes out there. He's out there, and right. he's not only out there. Peyton himself acknowledged on Monday he was, he was part in, of the progression. He was third in the progression. All right now they he didn't line up right, and you had of course the specter of 
Crow raising his arms before the ball was snapped. Like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing here. Uh, but that's that's where but I don't why is he it. on the field? I, yeah. I mean, why that's is he a not a Russell one, Wilson? Why thing? is he in the game? Russell Wilson didn't put him in the game. No, well, Russell Wilson didn't decide to activate him and keep Atkins out. It it, it just seems. But what Peyton bizarre. infers is that somehow Crow was totally ready. It was Wilson's fault not getting him the information. Well, that seems I, to be what Peyton wants uh, yes. wants people to infer. Yes, and I have a difficult if I, time if doing I that. Have, if I see a guy waving his arms, to me that's on him. <laughs> it's probably on it's him. Probably on Nobody him. else was yeah, waving. You their don't arms. know what the play is, uh, but then as you pointed out, he's played twenty snaps all year. Yeah. Well, what, what, how, why should he know? And how many times has he? Is he in these in, in this late game clutch team. situation with the first team, yeah. knowing that as a guy that's kind of just trying to make his bones yeah. in the league, the pressure that's on him. To try to perform, you know, this feels like kind of a big, big moment in his career. There's just the natural human stress on it. Well, what throws me off is when you watch it's, it, it, some of these other other players and quarterbacks. I, I get it. I, okay, I understand to a certain extent that that maybe Russell Wilson, certain, in fact, I would presume Russell Wilson has some culpability in this as well. But to act as if you're talking to a rookie. When you're talking to a guy in his 12th season, Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, regardless of what you think about either of their careers, although both Super Bowl champions, certainly at this much NFL experience should be able to get on the same page easily enough if they're professionals. Here's my question. And I'll get more specific tomorrow. I'll go back and and do the game-by-game research. But unless I'm way, way off, it seems to me that Troutman at tight end has in most weeks been playing around 80 to 90% of the snaps. Okay, And he made a nice catch for a touchdown at a key moment against Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. I believe a game in which he played One of the between catches of 80 the year. and 90% of the snaps. Yeah. Okay. My question would be this. Again, with the same kind of idea that was just expressed, biggest game of the year, down at the end on third and goal at the eight, maybe biggest play of the year. He's played 63% of the snaps, and he's not out there. Right. Crowell's played 37% of the snaps, more than a third. More than a third throughout the game, and he's out there at the end. And as far as I know, Troutman was not out there. And as far as you can and tell, Crow and I get is the it, third receiver in the progression. It has, and I'm not what? picking on the kid. Has what? And I, I, I look. I understand. Adam Troutman is not Travis Kelsey. No, or George I, Kill. I, I understand. But at the same time, what? Wh- what have what, we what, seen? What did he do right. to go from 85 yeah. percent and a great catch against Cleveland right. to 63? Cleveland, by the Houston. way, was last week. The, the game prior, and, yeah. and I look at it, I'm like, what has Lucas Kroll it, shown not two you months ago. that is better than what Adam Troutman has right. shown you? Right. What has as he shown you? As a receiver. And I know I said, well, Peyton said this the other day. Well, we like his speed and all this. Okay. And, uh, okay, great. Uh, but if That's you nice. loved his speed so much, where was he and double on checking. all but 20 snaps all year long before last Sunday? Weren't you at the eight? Eight-yard line? How much? 
Speed is an impactful matter. thing than, rather than, say, route running or hands or experience. Speed at that point is way down the list. Yeah. Well, the, here's the other thing, and maybe I'm overstepping my bounds here, but that's happened before. I, I thought, listen, Jimmy Ward made a great play on the interception. Crow had no chance to catch the pass. No, he didn't. Could he have been a little more aggressive, though, in trying to Break knock the ball away from Ward? Um, Not impossible. I think he could have been. And, you know, and take, it, take an offensive pass interference penalty. I know it sets you back, but you, you, but get yeah, you down. still have the down. And a, In a, fact, a, you have two more. Well, yeah. no, you have one more because it's loss of down. But a more experienced player I think, might. Isn't it? Offensive pass interference, loss of down. Oh, I don't think it's a loss of down. I think it's I think it's fifteen yards. You'd have two more plays. And 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 Sean Payton said this week. You know what he would have liked? He said, I'd like to have had all four plays. Well, you would have maybe had five. And and a more more experienced Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A more experienced player might have done that. Might. And I'm again not we're not picking on Kroll. But that stuff doesn't have anything to do with Russell Wilson. The personnel doesn't have anything to do with Russell Wilson. Yes. Russell Wilson has to work with who Sean Payton and his staff puts on the field with him. And that part, to kind of just drop it in there and let people assume it must be the quarterback, feels to me at worst a little unfair, or maybe say even at best a little unfair, at worst maybe a little disingenuous and a little deflecting. From the coaching staff's well, own responsibility. You know, and, and I know he does these things on Zoom, right? Right. And it's easier. I'm not saying it's easy. It's easier to ask follow-up questions when the guy's right there in Correct. front of you. In fact, your on Zoom, it's almost Physical impossible. presence, all right? <laughs> on Zoom, you know. Because they, here's what my, happens. They get to mute My you. impertinent question might have been, what the hell was Kroll Doing in the game yeah, with, all, with all due respect, one of the great provisos of all time. With all due respect, it's like uh, to tell the honest truth, right? As opposed to the and, and you have truth. to flip it, you but, know. But, but to say, what was he doing in the game? And what did Adam Troutman do to not get in the game last week? What just would you not see from him to want not want him in there again? He he makes one of the great catches of the year for the Broncos in a critical game. And the knock on Adam Troutman, right, is not about his blocking or route pass catching. The week prior makes a, you know makes a great catch Very for good you. Catch. Very good catch. And then not good enough to be in the next week when it's even more important. Well, kind of strange, yeah, right? It, I I don't know how how you go from eighty five percent to sixty three percent. The the other thing I wonder about, and I, I'm not quite as curious in this instance, is. Uh, how Nick Benito, who I think still leads the team in sacks. Uh, yes, he does. Uh, Nick Benito played 35% of the snaps. You're in team, other words, team leader in, sacks. in other words, Kroll played a higher percentage of offensive snaps than Nick Benito, your sack leader. Wow. Played defense. Now that is an interesting way to put it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, think about it that way. Your team leader in sacks plays, plays fewer 35% snaps. Five percent of the snaps on defense than the backup tight end. Than the backup tight end. The backup tight end plays thirty-seven percent of the offensive snaps. That I, is, I, I just, 
I leave that out there. And that definitely doesn't have anything to do with Russell Wilson, who's not doing anything on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, just sort of the uh, interesting towel of Sean Payton, if you will. But they will have to turn things around quickly because they have to win this game against the Chargers this week. It's been uh, fun talking to you. We will make way momentarily because uh, I will step aside because Sandy Clough and Dr. Rick Perea will have uh, your checkup from the neck up with Dr. P. Wellness Wednesdays starting uh, for you in just a little bit. Always love to be able to uh, listen to that uh, myself as I'll step aside from the room for uh, Sandy and Dr. Rick. But you had an opportunity to talk to Brian Billick, which means you had an opportunity to become a better football fan. And if you missed any part of it, go to MyLifeSports.com or the free MyLifeSports app and make sure you check it out. Danny Bailey is the man in the booth that makes everything work. I'm going to step aside. Sandy's going to stick around. Danny's going to stick around. And Dr. Rick Perea is going to step in for your checkup from the neck up. Wellness Wednesdays next on My Life Sports. Welcome once again to yet another edition of Wellness Wednesday, our checkup from the neck up with Dr. Rick Perea. I'm Sandy Clough. And of course, we do this podcast weekly and it airs at 530 on Mile High Sports every Wednesday afternoon. And we welcome Dr. Rick Perea, the former world champion performance psychologist of the Denver Broncos back in 2015. He's also worked with the Colorado Rockies. within uh, a time frame in which the Rockies were actually successful, uh, <laughs> making the playoffs for two years in a row in 17 and 18. And he is, of course, someone who has worked with the current world champions, the Denver Nuggets. And uh, Dr. Perea, we, uh, at this time of year, have a rare occasion to talk about a critical Bronco game that was just played. For maybe the first time in seven years, yep. the Broncos were playing an important post-Thanksgiving game against the Houston Texans, uh, as they did in 2016 when they were 7-3 and three and playing at home against the Kansas City Chiefs on a Sunday night. The Broncos lost the ball game, uh, perhaps in less excruciating fashion this time, but still a frustrating loss, 22-17, for all of the opportunities they had. And after going almost five games and mm-hmm. three quarters without throwing a single interception, Russell Wilson in the last 16 minutes of the ball game this past Sunday through three. Right. Why, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, let's let's back up a little bit. So one thing I want people to understand is when I delineate a game, it's from the mental side, it's from the psychological side, the emotional side. And we we're we study probability ad nauseum in psychology. You have to get several classes on probability and the probability that things will happen or not happen. And when you look at the statistics leading up to this game, the turnover ratio, for example, it was, you know, it was so much in the favor of the Denver's defense that you knew that was going to change. Also with Russell Wilson too, you, you, you know, he hadn't thrown a pick as you just mentioned in, in what'd you say? Five and a half games, uh, five and a half plus actually, yeah. because through yeah. the first, 14 minutes of the third quarter, right. he didn't throw one either. So so you knew that was going to change in the law of probability, okay? Yeah. And yeah. so that's what really I go by. Like, you know, it's not um, that he's all of a sudden not going to throw any picks. He he was due to do it. Now, here's here's what I see why. 
Um, you know, I think that everyone needs to understand is the team that wins that day is the team that plays better that day. It doesn't necessarily mean they're the better team. It just means they play better that day. And so on any given day, any given team can beat another NFL team. That's why I've always said there's no upsets in my mind because it just depends on turnovers. It depends on momentum, field position. There's so many factors. That the Arizona in. Cardinals won in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, Sunday. yeah, who would have thought that? You know, but I wasn't surprised because, again, depending on all these factors that go into winning or losing a game, you have to consider all of them. That's what we do in psychology when we do research. We consider all the factors involved. You can't just consider some factors because you'll have a skewed outcome. So you can't do that. So when I look at a game, I look at all factors. And when I look at Russell Wilson and you look, he's been pretty consistent, you know, the second half of this season. But again, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he has, would be consistently ineffective now going forward. Because again, the psychological part of Russ is I can watch his face and I can tell you how he feels about himself, his team, how he's playing. And I saw that same look on, on Sunday again. It, it creeped back into his face again. The self-doubt, the self-harming, you know, not self-harming, but self-handicapping, where he really is not at his best, where he doesn't make definitive decisions. And so it doesn't surprise me that um, the, the game, you know, I turned it on. I didn't watch it all. I turned it on. It was 13 to nothing. So, yeah. Well, um, they, they got how much did eyeball. that have to do with A it? A lot. Because this is the first time going back at least six weeks yeah. that they've been double digits behind. I think in Kansas City, they lost 19 to eight. Right. That was the last time before Sunday they had lost. So being in that 13 to nothing behind position, maybe for the first time that early in the game in a couple of months. Right. Well, and seeing that, you know, I always, when I'm on here, I talk about the autonomic nervous system because there's the sympathetic and parasympathetic. When someone's on the sympathetic side, that's the stressful side. Heart rate's up, respiration's up, muscle tension has set in, very narrow of thinking. Parasympathetic's the opposite. Everything's calm. When an athlete plays on the parasympathetic side, Sandy, they're going to have a chance to be their best. When you get behind 7 to nothing, 10 to nothing, 13 to nothing, guess what happens? You start having negative thoughts. You start having doubts. That pituitary gland automatically kicks in adrenaline, which kicks us to that sympathetic side, which is the stressful side. So it doesn't surprise me that his picks came in the last 16 minutes because now at that point, scientifically, he was on that sympathetic side feeling anxiety. And there were anxious moments, obviously, for uh, the Broncos as they try to stage this comeback. On the road, uh, I think we need to remember uh, five in a row is a hell of a winning streak for it is. any team during an in NFL, the NFL yes, season. sir. You, you win five games in a row, you've accomplished something, yes. right? Four of those five games were at home. Yeah. Where the Broncos had been 0 3. And again, mm. your idea about things sort of evening out just by chance. Yeah. You start 0 3. You're likely at some point to progress yes. to the mean. Yeah. And the mean would be a four and three home record right. and four wins in those five games. And the one road game, of course, was a Monday nighter in Buffalo. This is the first Sunday afternoon game the Broncos have played on the road in a couple of months, right. as I say. And uh, the last one was Chicago, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they were behind before coming back to win that game. What did you notice from Sean Payton, if anything, 
on Sunday. Well, you know, it's interesting to me is when when the Broncos are playing well and that equates to them having a lead in the game, his nonverbals are very positive. He seems relaxed. His face seems relaxed. Um, when he's looking at his play call sheet, he looks like he's enjoying himself. Obviously, when they tend to get behind, it changes. Now, that's not unique to Sean. That's pretty universal throughout the NFL with coaches. I mean, that that's being a human being. Nonverbal, by the way, I just want everyone to understand, nonverbal communication is 80% more reliable than verbal because verbal, we can just lie. But nonverbal <laughs> communication, nonverbal communication really doesn't lie. And so we can get a real good beat. And that's why I always look at quarterbacks' faces. I tell coaches, I said, let me let me watch him in practice. Let me see his face. Let me see how he communicates verbally, but nonverbally as well. So I think Sean's um, demeanor on the sidelines was very indicative of the game. And when they got behind, the tenseness in his jaw set in. You could see that he was um, not – there wasn't any, as many grins and smiles. They and, were and, when they were and, coming back, though. Right. No, you're right. He had a feeling that something good was going right. to happen, and it seemed to be happening up until the final sequence, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. You, you know what? You know what's interesting to me, Sandy, is when I look at Russell Wilson as a quarterback and as a person, I think about his nonverbal communication, and it reminds me of a kid that's rewarded and a kid that's scolded. So, like a child, an adolescent. Adolescence is from ten to twenty-five. So, let's say a fifteen-year-old that gets rewarded, you know, they get happy, they smile on their face with their parent. Hey, you've done a good job in school, whatever it is. But yet when they get scolded, he really is. He, he, he almost, his shoulders shrink, Same his shrink. demeanor yeah. shrinks and he doesn't have that swag. He doesn't have that, that flow to the way he looks. I really think if we were to dig into his past and I haven't, mm -hmm. um, Trevor Moed was his psychological yes. guide who passed away close to two years now. Um, I don't know his past about growing up, but I would bet somewhere along the way there was some conditioning in his brain where it was a really reward and punishment process where he learned how to, you know, dodge and avoid bullets, live full, mm -hmm. flying bullets, because I'll never forget their teammate of mine um, in high school later played at Stanford. Vaughn Williams, he told me I, 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 he used to be the hardest hitting safety I ever played with at any level. And I remember asking him why that was. And he says, you know why? He says, my dad was a raging alcoholic. And every time he came home, I had to really figure out, is he going to be mad tonight? Right. Is he going to be nice tonight? Is he mm -hmm. going to be somewhere in between? Somewhere in Russ's past, he had to figure out how to dodge something. I don't know mm -hmm. what it is. And I'm not inferring his dad was a raging alcoholic. Oh, no, no. But what I'm saying is somewhere in his psychology is he learned how to do that dance. And you, I can see it clear as day. In, when he performs the Peyton Wilson relationship mm. fascinating yeah. and, and and the only real look we can get from that relationship is during the games yeah and there isn't a lot that gets exchanged during the games but there's a lot that is said sometimes after the games by Sean Payton more than by Russell Wilson mm -hmm. with Russell Wilson everything's sunshiny and positive regardless of uh, the outcome what do you make of the peyton wilson relationship do you see it developing i mean nothing's on a straight line but over the last six weeks do you see it developing or do you see peyton and you're a football guy so you look at things beyond just 
your area of expertise, you right. know the game, yeah. and you see how they're using Wilson in a very conservative way. Again, the other day and for the season, he is failing to reach 200 yards on yeah. a per game basis. Obviously, during the game the other day, he didn't get there. And especially in the first half, the Broncos were very conservative. So is the relationship advancing, in your opinion, between the two? Or from Peyton's point of view, do you think he's just making the best of a situation he inherited? Yeah, I think the latter. I think he's I think he's already made his decision about um, Russell Wilson. I don't think he's a quarterback next year or of the future. And I think he's making the best out of this situation. Here's why I think that, because I think Sean Payton is a, is a coach that loves mental toughness. He loves physical toughness. Um, you know, he, he preaches that in the way he coaches and teaches. And, you know, you look again, you look at Russell Wilson at times and he just looks lost. And he had that look again in the third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, of the game the other day and for me I think at some point as a coach you're like okay I have to move on you 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 know this is a league that stands for not for long NFL and that what that means is I can't wait because the t it's not fair to his teammates it's not fair to the coaches it's not fair to the head coach to be judged on a quarterback that you really aren't really drinking his Kool-Aid and I don't I think he's already made his decision I don't think Russell Wilson is the type of quarterback that Sean Payton wants to have. I think he wants a more mentally tough, a more physically tough, a taller in stature, somebody who can stand in the pocket and fire the ball downfield as going through a progression. And that's really not what Russell Wilson does best. I know Sean Payton worked with many quarterbacks during his years yeah. as an assistant coach in the NFL, particularly with the Giants and Dallas. But as a head coach, other than his final year in New Orleans, he always coached Drew Brees. And from what we hear, there was kind of a mind meld that existed between the two, a language known only to the two of them. <laughs> Other people would watch them and they'd be exchanging thoughts and they'd almost be speaking a foreign language yeah. only understood by the other. Yeah. And my question to you is, in fairness to Russell Wilson, Sean Payton's used to dealing with Drew Brees and communicating with Drew Brees, and they always had an easy rapport and spoke the same language. They're both football nerds right. at the risk of oversimplification. Russell Wilson isn't that type of personality. Mm -hmm. Was Sean Payton spoiled by virtually 15 years with Drew Brees? Yeah. And now he's expecting Russell Wilson to communicate with him or take his coaching the same way maybe he didn't have to work that hard to coach Drew yeah. Brees and now he's got to work to coach someone who is less perfect right well for and, him yeah and I also think that you know you look at Drew Brees and he's got a wide array of communication skills he can communicate on a professional level a personal level I've seen him talk with with young kids he's very he very much connects with people Russ can do the same thing don't get me wrong but Russ is perceived, and, and, and I see where people are coming from. Russ can be perceived as fake. He can be perceived as inauthentic. And what that means is that he's just saying what he needs to say to make everybody feel good. And I, and I get that. I think at times he comes off as that. I think Sean Payton is a real guy 
that loves real quarterbacks. And I'm not saying Russell Wilson is not a real quarterback. But he's but different. He's different, and there's a lot of evidence to support it from former teammates and how he wasn't a guy that they hung out with. He wasn't a guy they would invite over to hang out with because, you, you know, there's a part of his personality that just seems like he's placating you to get to the next step. And I think he that's a gap in their relationship. I don't see Sean Payton – really connecting with him. I think he tolerates him. He does what he can mm -hmm. and just crosses his fingers and hopes that he has good games. But I think going forward, I don't think Russell Wilson is his choice at quarterback. We'll talk more about uh, uh, the subject of football here on a variety of levels uh, when we continue, but not before we remind you that uh, Dr. Rick Perea is one of the foremost performance psychologists in America. And I've known uh, Rick for about a decade now, almost a full decade, and you get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Rick Perea every Wednesday here on Mile High Sports from 5.30 to 6 p.m. And, of course, uh, Rick, as mentioned earlier, was the performance psychologist for the world champion Denver Broncos back in 2015. He's worked with the Rockies, the current world champion Denver Nuggets. But most importantly, he helps middle and high school performers to reach their peak levels too. Whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look him up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for4u.org. And uh, speaking of uh, personalities that can uh, – provoke a variety of reactions. Uh, Deion Sanders in the news lately, not so much for what he's done, but for seemingly what he has lost. A number of players have decommitted. A number of coaches have left. Uh, among those who are entering the transfer portal, a couple of guys who started this year, including an offensive lineman, and a tight end who at one point this year seemed to be Shadur Sanders' favorite receiver, mainly during the time that uh, uh, there was uh, an injury that uh, affected the uh, receiving core and uh, one special player in particular uh, missing time during the year. What's behind all of that, do you think? And what are you hearing and observing about what is going on up in Boulder? At roughly this time a year ago, Deion Sanders was being introduced to uh, much fanfare as the new head coach at the University of Colorado. A year later, the situation seems to be a little more mixed. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say this. Let me start by this so I don't sound like a Johnny-come-lately or I'm on the bandwagon. Um, when they were 3-0, and I predicted they would be 4-7, and 4-8. and eight. You did. I said at that time they would because I, here's what I judge on, on college coaches is authenticity, um, knowledge-based competency, and then acumen, the ability to connect with players. And he, de he definitely has the acumen piece. He's, he connects with people. He knows that he's got all the quotes down although some of them are very inaccurate and they don't hold water as far as science goes. Um, but in terms of the competency part, he, he really, not the way I see it, he lacks in a lot of ways. And what that means is 
um, he's decided to have a relationship with about 20% of the team <laughs> that he communicates with on a daily basis. Yeah. Players, coaches, coaches, he, he, you know, he will communicate with them, especially mm-hmm. if it's a reprimand. But he's got rules and guidelines like you can't come in his office without being invited. Um, like kind of a closed door policy as, a, as opposed <laughs> yeah. to an open door policy. And then we find out that um, during spring ball that he wasn't open to meeting any football players' parents. And that astonishes me because that's one time in spring ball that you can take the time as a position coach, as a coordinator, as a head coach and meet, you know, the parents. I mean, you got to remember, he's a father. You want your kids to be at an institution where the coach is not just a coach. They're a mentor. Um, A lot of these kids grew up without fathers. And so they look maybe look to Dion as a as a as a mentor and as a role model. And when we find out that he's not even – he has a closed-door policy, not only to his players, but he's got a closed-door policy to meeting parents um, during spring ball, then you have to ask yourself, what's the motive? What's the motive? We call it the etiology, the origin of behavior. Why would a coach have that rule or guideline? Um, I can come up with a few hypotheses, but I'm not going to do that here. I would say this. The reason that we're seeing an exodus of decommits – um, and by the way, Christian Fourier, who used to play at CU years ago, really good player, played in the league. Um, you know, he's got a son yes. that, that's leaving. That's and leaving. so to me, you know, former players shouldn't be treated like royalty, but there's a special connection. Uh, alumni football players should get the benefit of the doubt when communicating with the current coaches. And, you know, what's the gap there? I'd really like to know that. I'd wonder if Dion was even open to talking to Christian and his family. So I really think that what's what's happened is what's coming to fruition, Sandy, is that he didn't realize that it takes longer than one season just plucking people out of the portal to build a team. A foundation has to be built, and that foundation is built on human relationships, and that's connecting with people, letting people know you care about them. When you say, I'll get rid of you, you know, if you don't perform well, you know, that that doesn't resonate with humans. It may resonate with robots, but not with humans. And, I, and I'll finish by saying this. You know, every one of those kids up there is taking classes up there. They're, they're working their butt off in the classroom, and they have majors, and they have minors, and they've committed to all this. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got to be worried about, am I going to be here past the semester? Because this guy is so, so hyper- active on performance, 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 and I'll get rid of you, that I have to leave my major. I have to leave my minor and start over to new school, not over. But what if I have 80 credits and only 48 of them transfer? And that's what some of these kids are going through. And I want people to remember that. Don't just think of Saturday afternoon at Folsom Field. There's all the backdrop of these kids as students, too, because 95% of these kids are not going to play in the NFL. They got to go on and have careers and, and, and raise families. And the education piece is the most important. And I think that's what Dion gives lip service to, but he's not yeah. building a foundation. Now. He does talk about education, the kind of education you can get at the University of Colorado, which is certainly a terrific uh, academic institution. But again, it is said, but not really explained. And it's hard to say whether that's really a point of emphasis in the way he actually conducts right. uh, his business. I wanted also to ask you 
about a conversation we had, uh, seemingly unrelated, but I picked up on some points with basketball coach Tad Boyle at the University of Colorado. Now, building a basketball program is very different from building a football program. Sure. And Tad Boyle has never had the equivalent of a 1-11 season uh, during his 14-some years, I believe it is mm-hmm. now, at the yeah. University of Colorado. But he recruited for the first time this year a five-star basketball player named Cody Williams, who's a six-eight forward, uh, who is improving by leaps and bounds, not only from week to week, not only from game to game, heck, from half to half. Uh, <laughs> he, he seems to be growing and growing and growing and growing and figures to be somewhere between a 15 to 20 point per game score this year for Colorado. They already have established scores in guard KJ Simpson and uh, the uh, senior forward uh, Tristan De Silva. And he talked about building his program with kids, with parents of those kids, and relying very little, if at all, on the transfer portal. Now, one of their five starters did come from Northeastern, uh, also through a junior college Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years back. But for the most part, the talent is, as they say, homegrown. There are kids he's recruited. There's kids he's had dealings with for many years, even freshmen. Uh, He's been recruiting for more than a year. They didn't just show up right. magically on campus. It's a very different style. And I want to hasten to add, Tad Boyle was on our 4 to 6 p.m. program. Um, I co-host with Sean Rotar. And Dion's name never came up. This isn't a comparison. This isn't compared to the way Dion Sanders does it. How right, do you right, do it? Right. It's just the way he does it. And it's done very differently. And very successfully by Nico Medved, the basketball coach at Colorado State, yeah. who does bring in transfers a little more, mm-hmm. and but brings in a certain kind of player, a certain kind of kid. So it, I don't think, is that much different. Right. That's the conventional way. Mm-hmm. The Dion way is definitely not the conventional way. Um, he can't do exactly what he did last year, not only again this year, but ever again. Right. Yeah. Now he will be more reliant on recruiting. And although people assume he's a great recruiter, there really isn't that much of a track record. I mean, Travis Hunter was a great recruit. He's a five-star. Yeah. But Tad Boyle got a five-star too. Sure. Cody Williams. Every, every once in a while you hit on somebody right. who's special and he's definitely special. Right. Uh, but you can't, you, you've got to win. I guess my point is you've got to win with three stars, sure, four stars Absolutely. and get them to overachieve. Yes. 100%. And I'm not sure he's set up to do that. Yeah. hundred percent, Sandy, you got to win with walk-ons. PWOs, we call them, preferred walk-ons. You have to have an array of talent on your team. You know, five-star, people need to understand what five-star, four-star, three-star means. That just, if you get recruited early and you, you know, have a team like Florida offer you, guess what happens? All of a sudden now Florida State offers you, and then these other teams jump on. It's a copycat world. It really is. And it just means you're being heavily recruited. doesn't mean you actually are going to be that kind of player. Of course. There's so many kids in the NFL that were two-star, three-star, huh? no stars that play in the NFL. And there's kids that are five-star. They're all star. walk-ons. Yeah, and there's kids that are five-stars that flame out in one year. We see it all the time. But I'll say this about Tad Boyle. Tad Boyle, so you, you mentioned basketball and football are different. They're very, very, very many 
um, differences, but there's very many similarities because you're still dealing with people. You're still dealing with talent on the court, on the field, student athletes and families. There's a lot of similarities just because one has 120 players and one has 15. You know, I get that. But Tad Boyle builds things from the foundation. He does it in a fundamental way. Now, for me, in my personality, I'd like him to be a little more jovial and a little more. But but he is what he is, and I accept that. He is who he is. Too. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so with, with, with Dion, the issue that I have with Dion is he thinks he's reinvented the right. way to coach. And you, you're just not going to do that. You have to recruit players, like you said, from, from no start, from PWOs, all the way up to five stars if you can get them. But it's how you treat them, too. Yeah. It's how you communicate to them, too. And when we find out now what we what mm-hmm. we know about the way he treats players, most of mm-hmm. them, um, and he treats parents, it's just not yeah. acceptable, and it's not going to build a foundation. Tad Boyle is understands the humanist part mm-hmm. of recruiting 100%. And you see him. He His teams are consistently good. Yes. Bordering on great. And that is all you can ask for. If I had a son that wanted to play basketball, he'd go there in a heartbeat because that guy does it the right way. The same guy, mm-hmm. way the football coach up at Wyoming, they do things yeah. the right way. That's right. But if I have a son that wants to go to see you and play football, I'm going to say, you, you, you do the research. You do the research because I can't sign off on that because if you're what if you're the ones that he doesn't communicate to? What if you're one of the ones that he won't even meet me? And I'm considered one of the foremost performance psychologists in the NFL and you won't even meet me? Not that I should or I'm privileged, but I know a little bit about the game and I know a lot about the game from the neck up. So I just think the way he's approaching it over time is going to start to turn off more and more people. And I would suggest he become more authentic. And I think that I've seen a little bit of a turn in the needle. So maybe it's coming. I don't know. But I'll tell you, when you talk about those two coaches, they do it very different ways. One more quick uh, observation. You don't even have to respond to it. Um, You suggested last week that when Creek played Columbine for the state championship, part of what you said earlier, don't be surprised to see Columbine win the game. And you were right. So I, I just wanted to give you credit for that. You can that that can be the reaction. We're done for this <laughs> episode of uh, Wellness Wednesdays. Check up from the neck up, and we'll be back in a week, right back here on Mile High Sports.